everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord, a brand new comics podcast. Uh, and this here podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Seekward, which is the best source for comics criticism, both online and on your shelf. Buy some of their books, go to their website, it's great. I am Tom Shapiro, your host, uh, and if you're into comics, you might know me from my book, uh, Curing the Postmodern Blues, which is from Seekward. Uh, about the works of Grant Morrison, or from a series of articles I'm writing for them about all sorts of stuff. And with me, my amazing co-host is... Hi, I'm Sean Edry. I am a doctoral student at Tel Aviv University. Uh, avid gamer, big uh, aficionado of pop culture, fiction junkie, generally speaking. And uh, I recently taught a course on uh, American superheroes and American mythology, which turned out to be pretty popular, so... Go comics! Uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've been doing the comics podcasting thing for like two years now, but I've been doing it in Hebrew, and me and Sean decided to try and uh, spread the audience a bit around by trying this, this whole podcasting thing in English, and we're gonna, we're gonna give it a shot, I think. Yeah, this yeah. is actually my first podcast ever, so thank you for the opportunity. We'll be gentle. Yes. And so let's start with the comics news. Alright, and Tom, if you don't mind, I'd like to start from the bottom and talk about Spider-Woman. Uh, yeah. One of the big things that's been going on in the online community and in the actual stores community <laughs> uh, right now is talk about the new Spider-Woman relaunch, which is written by... Uh, can, can I give sort of the general breakdown here? Okay. Because th- there is a background here that a lot of people are glossing over yeah. because of, of the issue that we're going to yeah. discuss. But basically, this book was announced at San Diego Comic-Con, at the Women in Marvel panel. Uh, the first issue was... Uh, actually, this uh, uh, comic, Spider-Woman, is, I think, the eighth or ninth female-led title that Marvel I think, has published. I think they did an article at comics should be good and it's like they're double digits now, like 10 oh, or 11 I think even better female female headed uh, comic book from you know, Marvel and and I do want to point out like before we get into the uh, nitty gritty criticism that Marvel generally speaking have done pretty well with this wave the female the, the new uh, Miss Marvel Kamala Khan yeah. has been incredibly popular so uh, you know good for them yeah and they've got Elektra and Black Widow and Geo. Captain Marvel and, and these books tend to be very well received critically yep. and some of them are doing okay in sales some less so well sales yeah what are you going to do but here's the thing so they they solicited the first issue of Spider-Woman in November you know yeah. it's, it's it's for November and just to break down sort of what this issue contains so it's being written by Dennis Hopeless which is a fine writer it's That's not strike one <laughs> not, no no he's, I'm sorry he's, he's, not, he's not bad He's, uh, he's not, not my worst. favorite. He's not my favorite, but you know he—he's professional. He's not the worst person that Marvel has hired to write comics for them by a long shot. Yeah, but when you look at his past work, you know Avengers Arena was problematic for a lot of reasons, and I'm willing to concede that some of them probably came from no, higher up. No, I think they all came from higher because I've actually said and read all of Avengers Arena. I borrowed from a friend. It's good. Uh, it's not great, uh, but 
You can sort of feel like somebody told him, you have to do a Battle Royale, yeah. Hunger Games with superheroes, yeah. or you don't get paid, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And he I, does his best. I'm, I'm willing Not to, to concede that. But then, you know, also, like, Cable and X-Force doesn't really distinguish itself from the rest of the line. Uh, okay. So he's not, like, horrible. He's not a bad writer. But he's not the best person they could have given this book to, and everybody knows it. It's okay. like, it's not a big shock. Give it to, I'm afraid to pronounce his name because I know I'm going to get it wrong, but he writes Zero and Secret Avengers. Alex Scott. Give it to Alex Scott. Yeah, I'm, I'm always confused. It's Alex. Alex, no, it's not Alex. I, I don't even yeah. want to risk it. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, so to, uh, you know, give it to G. Willow Wilson, give it to Catherine Eminem, give it to, to, to like someone who you could at least make the argument no. that they can do a better job no, of it. Maybe they don't want to. Alex Scott well, is pretty busy right now. Get Brian Bendis off those books where he makes Emma Frost sound like an old Yiddish woman. And put him on Spider-Woman. He, he has an affinity for the character, whatever. Dennis Hopeless is like, eh, not oh. a superstar. Okay. Next strike. For the you. artist is Greg Land. That's strike two. Tom, uh, the look on your face right now, I'm going to let you explain why it's bad. Uh, well, for those who haven't had the chance, Greg Land, for the last few years, because when he started off, he had a decent style sort of cartoony thing going on, is not a very good artist, and a lot of people throwing around blames of tracing, and some of them have been shown to be true. You know, you had magazine covers shown against his his uh, images, and, you know, you can see what it does, and some of it is just... Uh, I don't want to say hack work, because I don't know the guy, and... but no, some You can say hack work. No, okay. no, no. Some of it feels lazy. Like, his art sometimes feels lazy. Doing a shortcut, that's the easiest thing to draw. And... But here's the thing... Because putting him on that book made you angry, made me happy, because that means that L. Ewing's Avengers, Mighty Avengers, <laughs> uh, doesn't have to have him. Well... He's, he's moved on. And I really like L. Ewing's writing Mighty Avengers, but I didn't like the art, and then so now I'm like, okay, yeah, he's going to get a better artist. I'm happy for that. Okay. But putting him on a female-led title has, you know, it would have brought up criticism. Whatever. And Marvel, I think, at this time, you know, when it was at the late, at the early 2000s, you know, when the online criticism thing just started, you could sort of forgive them for yeah. being uh, unaware. But oh, now... We're, we're going to get into how they don't know how to use social media. Yeah, but now they <laughs> now they sort of had to know what the response would have been. Yeah. Okay, that's strike two. And now you're going to talk about the big one. Well, before I talk about the big one, I just want to say, I mean, when you... I. As Tom has been explaining about Greg Land, I googled his name, and literally, like, one of the first results that comes up in Google Images are a set of three covers uh, um, in which Pixie, Scarlet Witch, and Spider-Woman, I think, are basically the same person. Um, yeah. Like, there's no question that he's yeah. chasing his own work. And Mr. Land, superhero comics are repetitive enough. We don't need you photocopying your work. Thank you very much. Okay. That brings us to... The variant cover. Yeah, the variant cover for issue one was Ooh. given to Milo Manara, who is an Italian artist of erotica and or porn comics. That oh, it's softcore. Not, it's, yeah, it's not. It's not an insult. That's what the guy does. You know, yeah. he'll admit it happily, and he's good at it. Like credit where it's due. I will say this, like before we absolutely tear into him, which is what I intend to do. In, okay. in any case, uh, is that. Uh, you know, it is, he is a very good artist for what he does. His artwork is beautiful. And what he does has its place. Exactly. The question is, is its place Spider-Woman number one? 
What, Tom, what, explain, like, what exactly do we see on this cover? Uh, we see Spider-Woman in a not very good position, and as everybody who looked at it noticed, the most obvious thing is her bottom. She is on all fours with her butt up in the air. Yeah. To use a 90s phrase, she looks like she needs TP for her bangol. I I was going to go there, you know, but uh, I mean, it's terrible, and it's terrible for very specific reasons, but... I want to sort of take a step back because basically this cover has sort of reignited the ongoing endless discussion about, about sexism in comics. Sexism in comics and, you know, exploitation of women in comics. All of that is being said right now. It's always being said. It's just yeah. every once in a while there's a particular cover that either because of the cover itself or because somebody takes the time to talk about it. Uh, there was the Teen Titans number one cover mm-hmm. a few months ago, and when I looked at it, I, I never noticed anything special about it, and then the criticism came, and I'm like, yeah, I can see what the criticism means, and yeah. it wasn't a unique cover. It was just, you know, it was a chance for someone to point at it and say, because that cover wasn't particularly offensive no. to my well... eye. It was just... It was regularly offensive as far yeah. as these things it's like, are. You, on some level, if you're a fan of comics, the, the American comics industry for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. you sort of get used to it and then you don't see it anymore yeah, until yeah. someone draws attention to it. But the thing that bothers me here is that there are sort of two issues at work here outside of the whole sphere of, you know, representation of women and, and on all of the problems that are being discussed everywhere. I mean, like you said, this is an issue that has really sort of reignited the same conversation that's been going on and on. But, so, like, first of all, when you call up Milo Manara's agent and say, we'd like you to do a cover, you know good and goddamn well what you are going to get. Yeah, and the thing is, they've done it before. Milo Manara has done plenty of alternative and variant covers for Marvel Over the last five, six, seven years. Yes. The reason that it is causing so much trouble now is because, first of all, this cover is attached to a title that is supposedly meant to promote a female character. And the second I saw this cover, I mean, we were saying before, you know, evidence that Marvel doesn't understand social media. The second I saw this cover, literally my first thought was heads are going to roll. Because it's... it's When you... Okay, I'm going to sort of like take take a further step back and like overall, right? The American comics industry has been trying for years and years and years, especially Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. to break out of that stereotypical box of, you know, comics are for children, comics are comics are for emotionally stunted uh, man beards, all of that stuff. It, it, they have been struggling so much to sort of not be perceived as juvenile crap. And in comes, you know, this comic, which an editor at Marvel asked Milo Manara to submit a cover for Spider-Woman, knowing full well what he was going to get, right? And you look at this cover, and this cover is, in a lot of ways, an encapsulation of everything that non-comics readers think comics are. That, like, uh, uh, Warren Ellis's whole thing about, like, body condoms and all that, that's what this cover is. All the criticism that has ever been directed at comics can be boiled down to that damn image of Spider-Woman on all fours with her butt in the air. And, I mean, even non-comics outlets have been talking about, you know, uh, the Daily News compared her to Nicki Minaj. Yeah, there was this... uh, A, I'm sorry, I'm not very up to my pop culture, so I'm like, 
Nicki Minaj <laughs> apparently is a singer of some sort. She's a rap artist who's, you know, I mean, she's a rap artist who's mostly known for being theatrical and over-the-top and cartoon. And she has a video clip where she is basically standing in the exact same image. So, you yeah. know, it cut, it cut some eyes. And, and, and you said this on Facebook a couple of days ago, and I absolutely agreed with you, is that this tactic of, like, you know, the TNA marketing has never worked for Marvel. Well, I... Maybe it worked in the 70s. I haven't followed sales there. No, no, but, but when you actually... That's the thing. Uh, when people talk about, you know, TNA marketing and marketing for the lowest common denominator, it's like, it doesn't work. Uh, you know, you you would think that it would work because, you know, it's the audience of teenage boys, apparently. Yeah, and they well. like... what That's what that's what they say comics fans are. Right. And they like, you know, women's bodies without any clothes on. But the thing is, when you take someone like Frank Cho uh, mm-hmm. and you put him on Shaun of the She-Devil, it sells nothing, uh, well, because <laughs> and because yeah, because nobody cares about Shaun of the She Devil. You put him on Wolverine, it sells like hotcakes because people like his art on Wolverine, right. and you know, and it happens time and time again. Um, the reasons superhero fans like certain titles are usually about you know, do I like the writer? Do I like the superstar artist? Is it mm. important to the continuity? Which is, in my oh, opinion, well. a problem of its own. But oh, yeah. you know, that's the. Or is it part of a big crossover? Is it a story or a character that interests me? And, and TNA is there because it's, it's not just part of comics culture, it's part of Western mainstream right. culture in general. But, you know, when you put it head first, it doesn't promote sales because if it would, would be true, Xenoscape would be the highest selling company in the business. Exactly. And, and they're not. What's the biggest uh, selling character, you know, Marvel and DC have? It's Batman, it's Spider-Man, it's a man dressed head to toe. Right. Not not a woman without her shirt on. And I mean, what's especially frustrating in this case, setting aside the fact that the cover goes against the supposed mission statement, and actually I'm, I'm going to say something about that in a bit, but okay. um, what's irritating here is that this is not the first time Marvel has stepped in this exact same mess. I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago there was an ongoing series, Heroes for Hire. Yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to bring that up. There was this... Brood cover. Sana Takeda did a cover of Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, and uh, the Black Cat. Uh, like, their shirts unzipped to their navels with the brood drooling on their breasts. Yeah, and there, a lot of people... Co- canceled. Yeah, a lot of people commented that, A, you know, they had the other male characters too, but on the back and the female characters to the front, and B... You that, don't see the male characters. Yeah, and B, that the brood doesn't work like that, you know, because the brood is like... It's Marvel's aliens, and yeah. for some reason, for that cover, they became tentacle monsters. Hentai, you know. Yeah, it's... and then the Casada came up and said, I don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. I don't know what hentai is, and everybody like, you work in mainstream culture that competes with manga. If you don't know what hentai is, then oh, yeah. you don't know you're your... lying. Com- no, it's not. Either you're not saying truth, or you don't know your biggest competition, because at the time, manga was crushing yeah. uh, mainstream comics. If you don't know your competition... Why are you running this company? And why are you doing initiatives like Tsunami, where you're drawing characters in anime style? Listen, I mean, Marvel's response to this has been interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, like, some of the comments that they made in response to criticism of the cover. Some of the... I've tried to read the Milo Manara thing, and Milo Manara wrote a response. Yeah, and again... It's not his fault. I, I don't blame him, because he does what he does, and his response, which was basically boiled down to, you know, there are actual terrible things in the world, yeah. what do you American prudes want from me? He's like, I don't blame him because he's like 70? 
No, but also, and, I mean, it's no, not, he's not his he's, fault. It's not his fault, and he's not, he hasn't been part of this discussion, which is basically yeah. an American discussion of, you know, young people. Be- because, like I said, it's not like this cover showed up as a surprise and everyone was horrified and they didn't know what to do with it. Like, when you call Milo Manara, he's one of, uh, you know, he's one of a handful of artists who you know exactly what you're getting when you call him up. Yeah. You know, this was not a surprise to anybody. But uh, Tom Brevoort, uh, uh, basically, his response boils down to something like, it's the reader's right not to like a certain cover. Yeah. Which Tom Brevoort has made a career out of missing the point, so I don't expect him to to start now. Dennis Hopeless's response was more interesting, because he basically went on Twitter and said, I don't have any say on variant covers. I'm going to treat the character with respect. I don't know how how fans of Runaways would have felt regarding respect in relation to Avengers Arena, but it at least again, shows no, no, again, he gets we, the point. No, but we talked about it again. Avengers Arena was not his fault. Okay. It's like when Adam Beecham wrote Bad Girl and everybody like, he turned Bad Girl evil. And people noticed, like, I'm sorry, a new writer on a title doesn't just turn a character, the main character evil by his choice. That's That has it's to be a, an official it's a, mandate. It's a mandate. Yeah. But, you know, even within a mandate, there are and things I, that you can do. And I assume it's not his fault that he got Greg Land. You know, he, I, no, I don't think no. he chose Greg Land. I to doubt work it. With, Nobody yeah. would choose Greg Land. They would just take old issues of Greg Land and, and then, you know, repackage them. I, I don't know. Because, I don't know. Because, again, <laughs> Al Ewing, when he was on a podcast, he talked about how great it is to work with Greg Land. And I'm like, mm. I don't know. I don't know these people. Uh, Marvel keeps on hiring Greg Land as yeah. a rule because... A, maybe he's a very nice guy, person. Sure. And B, he makes up time, you know. It's not like other bad artists that, you know, are also bad and are also sure. unprofessional, you know. When you ask for a Greg Land comic, he's going to deliver it to you, as drawn he, and yeah. ready. As long as his photocopying machine is working, he is never going to have a problem missing a deadline. Maybe <laughs> one time his scan his scanner gets broken, then it's like, okay, I need like a couple of days. Okay. Got to fix this up. But okay, that's okay. that's it. I just don't understand why in 2014, Marvel is making this kind of mistake because it speaks to like you know and why do we have to talk about Spider-Woman's body why you know the good thing I'll say about that A the the fact that the discussion exists is by itself good because you know 20 years ago you wouldn't have this discussion it would just go on and B that this cover is better than the Heroes for Hire cover (laughs) The, the amount of the amount of leeway that people are giving them is getting smaller and the amount of, you know, yeah. the stuff we're getting angry over because is, of social media. Yeah. And the, the stuff that, you know, we're getting angry over is not as bad as the stuff that was bad, you know, decades ago. Things are improving slowly, but you know. I, I hope that's true. I mean, the, 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 the discouraging thing here is that before this cover existed, you could have made the argument that Marvel has been progressing, you know, forward. And well, here it's like, you know, two steps forward, two steps uh, back. I just want to, uh, I don't want to quote directly because I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, Kelly, uh, Thompson writes yeah. for, uh, CBR, the She Has No Head columns. Mm-hmm. She has an argument which is basically Marvel has a lot of female-led titles which I read and I like them all. And, I'm not going to read Spider-Woman, she says, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like Marvel has decided that one of their female-led titles is Boys Club Only, and I don't have to like it. I don't like it. I think it's bad, bad, bad. But, you know, if one of 11 female-led titles is basically that, I can almost live with it. I'm f- paraphrasing her. Yeah, I, I, I understand the perspective. Like, you know, bes- uh, like would, one would out of ten, not such a Question, would we be okay with that if that was like a max title? If that was like adult only? No, because the, the issue here isn't like 
because it's it's a sexualized cover i don't think that's the problem the problem is that even if this were a max title supposedly the whole point of publishing it would be to put jessica drew you know on a certain uh, uh playing field where she's standing alongside all the other female heroes that marvel have been pushing lately so maybe marvel doesn't want that maybe it's le- then it, maybe they would, then they shouldn't have announced it at the women in marvel panel at comic-con i mean fair, fair is fair yeah uh, this, let's 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 move on because yeah, I'm because getting angry. It's this it's this discussion is going to go on for years, oh literally years. Yeah. Not not about discover in general. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, movies right now, comic book ah. movies. Sin City: A Day to Kill for came out this year recently and flopped badly. Ooh, ooh did it flop? It made six point four million in its first weekend, and just for comparison, the first Sin City movie did eleven point eight million on its first day. Yeah, uh, the first Sin City movie, which came out, what, eight years ago? Oh my now? god, I, uh, yeah, was eight and nine years yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a huge success, you know, especially for a black and white, novelty-looking, R-rated film, you know, mm-hmm. nobody expected it to be that huge, and from that you had 300, which is basically like, oh my god, Frank Miller comics uh, can be turned into R-rated films and make a bundle, and 300 also made a bundle. Did it? And, yeah, yeah. And the original 300 was successful? Yeah, okay, huge. Wasn't, wasn't even bigger than Sin City. Oh, okay. And the thing is, this year we got two two movies, you know, we had uh, Sin City, The Name to Kill For, and 300 Rise of an Empire. That which was last year. Right? No, 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 no. Oh, it was this year. 300 was this Ooh, year. Okay. Both of which are sequels to a Frank Miller-based movies, mm-hmm. both of which are not actually sequels because, you know, their time frames takes place along the original uh, film. Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, takes place yeah. sort of around the first film. I don't know if that's Before, after. Plot, and, wait, wait. Know. And they're both starring Eva Green in major roles. <gasps> it's like, it's strange. No! And it's very strange. You like, leave Eva Green alone. No, but, you know, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's like, that's an odd it coincidence. That's a very odd... And uh, none of them was as successful as the first one. I don't know if uh, 300 Rise of an Empire flopped... Uh, I don't really care. Here's the thing. Yeah. I've watched both of them. Uh, 300, Rise of an Empire, is bad. It's like yeah. genuinely uh, bad. I've seen some turkeys this year, but that one was one of the top five worst I've seen this year. Yeah, not like, the worst. Not the worst. I, I'm keeping that for my other podcast, which is in Hebrew. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, Does it involve Michael Bay in any way? No. No. no I haven't watched the Michael Bay things. Okay. All right. And Get some holy water when you go see it. <laughs> Why did it fail so bad when the first was such a success? Well, one of the things, maybe, you know, it took too long, and, yeah. you know, it's because it's strange. It's Robert Rodriguez, and he's one of the quickest, you know, directors on the block. When Robert Rodriguez wants to make a film, he's like, three months, done. Yeah. You know, he's like, because he writes it, he directs it, he edits it, he does the music, he does the soundtrack, maybe he does the catering. You know, he's a one-man movie machine. Yes. So, why would it take Robert Rodriguez almost a decade to make a movie that's for a successful movie? I'm assuming that, Frank Miller had something to do with it. I, I don't know. And I usually assume Frank so, Miller had yeah, something to do with it. So, yeah, at the time, time probably heard it. Be yeah. the novelty wore off. You know, when the first film came out, it was nobody seen something like that mm-hmm. on screen. It was just like, it was, well, we have seen something like that on the screen. It was... Have you seen the Dick Tracy movie, The Warm Baby? Yes. It yes. was, you know, it well, was, it was, no, it was like a comic book aesthetic brought to life on the screen. Not a comic book concept, an yeah. aesthetic. 
But the thing about Sin City, the, the first film, is that even if you had never read the comics and yeah. you don't know anything about comics uh, and you just watch it as like a noir film, it really holds up well. You know, yeah. it has these interlocking narratives that turn out to be connected in ways uh, that you didn't yeah, expect. It's, it's not deep, but it it's awesome. It's, it's clever. It's clever and yeah. it's cool and it's... It has a good cast of characters. Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't remember the exact thing Roger Ebert wrote when he watched it, but it was like, it's the perfect casting because every, every actor there was cast as like the zenith of itself. It's like, yes. Bruce Willis is the old tired cop and Mickey Rourke as the big badass guy mm-hmm. and Josh Hartnett as this charmer guy who was quite dangerous behind yeah. the charm. And it's like, you know, every actor was his perfect representation. And when you add that film's, uh, opening titles and instead of, you know, pictures of the characters it was the name of the actor next to the drawing to the original yes. drawing that was like yes mm-hmm. that's that was great and so there was that and the it, third it did work yeah the novelty wore off the time was too long and the third thing the movie is worse it's it's not awfully mm. bad it's not like 300 bad it's not as good as the first film and I think the reason for that might be that when they adapted the first Sin City, there were elements there of basically the best stories yeah. in the Sin City series. Yeah, they right? took it was uh, the big goodbye, goodbye, the hard goodbye, the hard goodbye. Sorry, yeah. uh, uh, the yellow ba- that yellow the bastard. bastard, and I don't remember uh, the one with the uh, the big fat kill, the big fat kill. Yeah, right. it's like th- so, those were the top. Yeah, Sin those City are stories. considered like you know the best Sin City stories in general. So having done that, the second uh, a Dame to Kill for adapts well, you know, a Dame to Kill for. And basically sort of the stuff that happened after Frank Miller went insane? Yeah, it's one of these <laughs> is an original story written by Frank Miller. Which one? For the film. Uh, I think the Joseph Gordon-Levitt Young Gambler oh, thing. Oh, that figures. Uh, that figures in, uh, in so it's, many ways. A, it's, it's not, it, the plot doesn't work, and a lot of it just hangs up around the original film. If you didn't watch the original Sin City, you're not going to get what the hell they're talking about. And if you did watch, you'll have to refresh yourself unless you were a huge fan like me, because it's like, it's that would seven. make it worse. Yes. If you ro- watched the, the first Sin City right before seeing A Dame to Kill yeah. For, you'd be even more annoyed. So, yeah, that movie flopped. Yeah. And, Sorry, uh, you know, try uh, again. Uh, the career of Frank Miller as an inspiration to film probably not going to last long after that one and the spirit. Cry and... me a freaking river. He has dug his own grave and I have no intention. No, of, I'm like... quite sad because that means I'm not yeah. going to get the chance to see the Daredevil uh, Born Again movie. That we deserve well, to get. Well, listen, you never know. Netflix might decide to, to do it, and they could probably do justice to it. It's a good story, and yeah. it deserves to be told. Uh, and if, let's just mention short, you know, movie news and success fail, uh, Guardians of the mm-hmm. Galaxy is now the number one film of this year. 2014, yeah. Uh, the biggest success. Good. Meanwhile, you know, there could be something else. I doubt it because summer season is nearly over. And, again, it shows, you know, when it comes to Success, you know, Marvel Studios does what Marvel comic studios can't be a giant juggernaut, which not only succeeds financially, you know, critically. And yes. people love that movie. People mm-hmm. went crazy over it. I have my reservations. Uh, it's not, I think I, I've wrote about it for Seekboard. I hope the article will come up uh, when this podcast comes out. Okay. Which is basically, this movie was very funny. But at times, a lot of times, it felt like it used the humor as a shield. It's like, see, it's like telling the audience, yeah, yeah, it's stupid, and we know that it's stupid like you, so, you know, it's okay for it, for us to laugh at it, and we don't have to, you know, have conviction. And right. people, people told me, no, and uh, now Disney doesn't have to do Star Wars because they have Guardians. I'm like, it's not Star Wars because Star Wars no. was naive. 
No. You know, the original Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Star it, Wars was simplistic. Yeah, and you know. that was what great about it. That yeah. was why you could connect to it. And I don't feel you could actually connect a lot of time for Guardians because it was like, it was making fun of itself for you. And it, and I, I was like, you're, it's not Star Wars. No. It's Spaceballs. It's Firefly. It's not, no, it's not even Firefly. It's it uh, the Galaxy Quest. It's like, no, it, it, I don't think it, it wants goes, to be. It, it wants doesn't to be. go that far into self-parody, though, is the thing. I think it tries. And uh, th- there are moments, I mean, I think one of the reasons that the film succeeded as well as it did is just because, you know, when you go to see a Marvel movie now, like in this day and age, you're sort of trained to expect some kind of general, uh, uh, similar feel, similar atmosphere, because all of the Marvel movies until Guardians was largely consistent. Well, I think that one also has similar feel. It's not that different from the Marvel aesthetics. Nobody so nobody laughs in America, in Captain America the Winter Soldier. I laughed. That's, that's not a funny movie. Uh, it was, it, had, it had two good jokes. When could you possibly have been laughing in that movie? Uh, it was like the cameo? The community Stanley. cameo? The community. Oh, the community can cameo. Well, cameo. The uh, how do we know who's the bad guy? Well, they're sh- right. they'll be shooting at you. Yeah, but those are like one line. I like Captain America: The Winter Soldier more than I like that one. No, again, no, because it different was more, movies. Though. Yeah, because it was it had conviction, and I don't think I don't think Guardians had conviction. I think Guardians is. I don't think it needed. Conviction. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's... Guardians is a candy bar. Yeah, and Captain America, it's a meal. Yes. I, I would agree with that. But I also, I mean, I, I went to this film and there were people laughing yeah. in the audience. Pretty much like from the minute he starts dancing in the the alien ruins, right up until like he challenges Ronan to a dance off. Yeah. I mean, you I, know, I, I don't, I don't begrudge it. It's no, not it's a light movie. You know, you from know. all the things that could have succeeded this year and a lot of yeah. bad movies made a lot of money this year. Would I you know. have rather it was TMNT? Yeah. Which will no. get a sequel. No. Yes, it was successful enough to get a sequel. No, don't tell me that. You yeah. see, now my faith in humanity is at an all-time low without you telling me that there's going to be another Turtles movie like that one. Ugh. Okay, uh, speaking of sales, uh, yeah. we've been looking at the sales chart a bit, mm. and to no one's surprise, Robert Kirkman rules them. You know, The Walking Dead is still the most successful indie title, and we use the term indie in the sense of it's not Marvel, it's not DC. Walking Dead is an empire. Basically, yeah. at this point, I, I don't think like I, I've made the argument before that we need to start talking about the big three instead of the big two because image is there. Yeah, you know, and you know, good for them for for even if like most of their success is coming off The Walking Dead, uh, which may be the case. I, I I'm I'm not sure, but like, if you had you know jump into a time machine, go back three or four years, and tell me that I'm gonna have ten image books on my pull list, I would have given you like the Rocket Raccoon laugh. If you've gone back <laughs> ten years and told everyone that you know the most successful non-Marvel, non-DC title on the list would be a uh, black and white zombie serial, which is ongoing for like a decade now, yeah, people would be like, "What?" Mm-hmm. I think even Robert Kirkman would be like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, he just launched another title recently, uh, Outcast, yep, which is a sort of an exorcism thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirkman has been trying to recapture that Walking Dead uh, lighting in a bottle thing for some time now because you know FIFA Thieves came out and was it's doing okay, but yeah. it's not usually successful. And Invincible is you know, Invincible is ongoing and it's in the low twenties, I think, which is great for uh, an indie book, but it's not you know it's not setting the world aflame. Yeah, and we're probably not going to get an Invincible TV series or movie very soon. 
Well, you never Pro- know. When, probably. When they're done strip mining DC and Marvel, I figure yeah, the big ones uh, are going to move so, on. But Outcast, uh, you know, the first issue came out, so like 70,000 copies. Good uh, Huge success. The question is, can they keep it? Because if they can, if, if this thing sticks... Mm-hmm. That means that Kirkman is the biggest name in comics. You know, right. he makes Mark Miller looks like sales look dwarfed, you know, for his personal titles. Right. And which, again, it's a huge surprise. Like, when, when, when I fought as a child, you know, who's gonna be the biggest names in comics 10 years from now? I'm like, yeah, the guys that I like is gonna be Alice, it's gonna be Morrison, but mm-hmm. no, you know, Kirkman does it. Well, uh, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Kirkman. Yeah. I've got to admit. Neither but, am I. But, I mean, you know, as a writer. As a writer. Conceptually, he seems to have ideas that are good, but I never feel that connection. Because you can read The Walking Dead and I've never felt... Actually, okay. I, I'm just going to sort of like an aside here because I know you don't know this game. But there's a, a video game of The Walking Dead. I'm aware that it exists. Okay, I'm, you not, know, I'm not a gamer. But, okay, well, so yeah. you know that it exists. But just like, you know, comparatively speaking... I have no problem admitting to the internet at large that when I got to the end of the first season of Walking Dead, this game made me cry. And I mean, like, ugly cry. Like, oh, why did he have to die? What? You know, like, really emotionally rending. I have never felt that from a Robert Kirkman. And it's his book, you know. It's like someone else took his world and, you know, just added another few characters. But there's a difference there. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I admire him on a conceptual level. I think he's largely responsible for sort of this renaissance that Image yeah, is going yeah, through yeah. now. Uh, because, you know, he had, when he just moved to Image, he had that call for writers, you know, stop working for Marvel DC, do your own thing, and yeah. you'd be successful. And he was right for himself. And, you know, he... I I think I think the problem I have with him is that he's the guy who grown up on uh, 90s Image comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Which... Uh, you know, he like, and he likes those guys. I don't like these guys. Yeah. He likes those guys. And, you know, you can sort of see it at his work because he's going a lot for the shock ending and, you know, mm. blood and gut. And I loved, I used to love Invincible, but then, you know, every 12 issue, there'll be like a bloodbath. And I'm like, you know, violence, fine, but I don't want to read teenage Spider-Man meets Superman adventures and then suddenly, you know, everybody dies yeah. in very, oh, very bloody manner. Although, if that's not what you're looking for, I don't really know what you should be reading right now because, like, in DC, you lose your left arm just by crossing the street. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where, where you would find refuge from yeah, that. Okay. But, I mean, you know, he... Like, he, he's an ideas guy. And I think that, that that's great. And I think that the writers that he's brought on... I don't know if this is true about all of Image sales. But I've heard, for example, that Saga is very consistent. Yeah, yes. Which is an anomaly. Saga is the weird... Is one of those weird outliers with actually picked up sales after hmm. after a while. Which is not supposed to happen. You know, the general trend in monthly sales is, you know... First issue is the highest and then... It slowly walks down unless you have some, you know, major anniversary, which is yeah. jumps back for, you know... An your, event, a crossover. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, Saga actually manages to, you know, slowly climb up, which is something The Walking Dead did for a long time. Yeah, uh, Rat Queens, I think, is also... Uh, I don't remember, uh, you well. know... You know, I mean, I, I mean, these are books that they will never be, like... They'll never sell 250,000 issues. Yeah. It'll never happen. But if they manage to hold on to like a consistent audience for a length of time that lets them stay in publication until the story reaches its natural conclusion, because Image knows how to end stories. Yeah. And there'll be evergreen. Uh, Red Queens, you know, the first raid is going to sell. Yeah. It's going to sell forever. You know, whenever it comes to our, to my local comic book store, you know, it's 
by the end of the week, it's gone, no matter how many copies they order. It's good. Yeah. I well, mean, and it helps that, you know, Image knows how to bait you with the first rate for yeah. 10 bucks. Or, I mean, I recently read uh, Joe Keating's run on Glory. That nice was great. 12 issues, you know, done. That was great. That's that's yeah. great. And he, and he talks, there's this interview in the last issue where he says, you know, we could have gone on for like 70 issues. There's something refreshing and entertaining and, and just like easy to access about stories that have beginnings, middles, ends. You pick them up, you read them, you enjoy them, you put them on the shelf, move on. Move on. And Image is doing that and really good for them. Okay. Um, the next one we're going to do, we're going to walk, you know, we're going to talk about the previews before uh, November. Just, you know, just slight. It's not going to be all of the things. I haven't actually gone over them, so yeah, this is I'll, me sort of reacting to your picks. Okay. Uh, okay. Marvel is basically stuck in Axis, so I'm not, I don't have anything interesting from them. They have this big event thing. The Again? Ax- they always have this big event no, thing. Oh god. So I don't I don't really care. I, no. yeah, what I, is it what is it this time? Just I like, don't I don't know. I really, <laughs> what's it called? Like, Axis. Axis. Yeah, it's Is it the return of Paul O'Brien to the X Axis? <laughs> no. No. I think it's the return of Onslaught. Onslaught. Again? Onslaught. Yeah. I don't uh, okay. Yeah, from Rick Remender's mm-hmm. Uncanny Avengers run. Huh? Not reading that, but... Okay, okay. It, it's getting good... Onslaught's back. Yeah, something like that, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Uh, DC Comics has a few new launches. Like Marvel, do you remember that you went bankrupt because of this stuff? I'm just putting that out there. Uh, okay. <laughs> DC Comics has uh, Gotham by Midnight, written yes. by uh, Ray Fox and drawn by Ben Templesmith. Mm-hmm. And the book is basically, you know, they say it's uh, Batman without Batman and it's X-Files. It's... It's like uh, Gotham's... Uh, Gotham Cent- Central. Gotham Central, Supernatural Division, whatever. Works for me. Uh, here's the thing. It sort of makes me angry because it's like Ben Templesmith's doing a dark detective comics. And I'm like, you're not going to finish Fell, are you? You're never going to finish Oh, Fell. I think that ship sailed like, you know, a yeah, long time. Yeah. You're still waiting for that? I, I it's just, like you're waiting for Kevin Smith's... Uh, uh... No, because Fell was good. Fell... Yeah. You know, I, I just reread Fell recently. And, you know, when, when the issue 8 came out, that that almost made me cry, you know. That was Warren Ellis being positive, you know, doing, you know, <laughs> War, Warren Ellis doing his clawing your way from the darkness into the light, mm-hmm. and you know, it ends with Detective Fell standing over the city like, uh, "I always care about you," something like that. And yeah. I'm like, "That's brilliant." And I he want did, more. He, of he is sort of self plagiarizing because that was the ending to Doom 2099, but that's okay. a different story. Okay. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, new t- launches, there's something called The Kitchen, written by ah. Ollie Masters and drawn by Ming Doyle. Yes. From Vertigo, which is basically a 70s crime story. Only all of the mobsters from Hell's Kitchen have been sort of locked in, and so their wives have to, you know, run the business now. It's I, interesting. It, I don't know if you... if uh, What this reminded me of was Superbia from Boom Studios. Ra- Grace Randolph. Grace Super- Randolph. That whole idea that, like, you know, you have the superheroes, right? You have the character, but it's the wives who are the center of attention. It worked really well for her, so... Um, you know, um, I, who, I who's really the like, writer? Uh, Ollie Masters? I have no idea. No idea, but, you know, I'll Ming give it a Do- shot. Ming Doyle, you know, I like her sense of design, but I've read the thing she does with... Uh, she did with Brian Wood. Um, I don't oh. remember the name. Oh, um, the one about the volleyball player. Yeah, in the future. I'm drawing a bl- oh, yeah. Mara, Mara, Mara. Yeah. And I'm like, it lacked uh, momentum, the style. And I'm like, it's serious about a sports star. You better have more flow to your art. Yeah, but you know, she had a great sense of design, and I want to see where she's going because she's still a rising star. Yeah, the premise interests me. I'm, I'm in for that. And uh, in, from the collection department, they have finally a soft cover collection of. 
Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill's Martial Law, the epic comics superhero parody 90s over-violence jokey thing. I'm just going to say huh and leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Martial Law was basically... Random! Pat, m- yeah, Martial Law was basically Pat Mills, who is a British writer who hates superheroes, doing mm-hmm. a superhero, doing Judge Dredd as a superhero hunter. And Isn't he doing Slane? It's a... No, Slane is like a Viking guy, no? Yeah, but I think that's Pat Mills. Like, Yeah, no, Pat okay. Mills done a lot of things. Yeah. Right? Still do, does. But it's early Kevin O'Neill. And Kevin O'Neill yeah. is excellent. So I'm going to, you know, for $30, I'm, I'm all over that. Okay. Uh, Image Comics, talking about the big three. Uh, the big, the two big lunges are, I think it's, we supposed to say ODC. Yeah. Or ODIC, I, or I don't know. I'm just going to go with Odyssey, because yeah, yeah. that's, that's clearly uh, what it and, is. And uh, Matt Fraction writing, uh, Kristen Ward uh, drawing. Where has he been all this time, by the way, Matt Fraction? I don't remember well, like hearing anything about him for months and months lately. So. I don't know, writing, writing up uh, Hawkeye or not. Well, may it rest in peace, right? Uh, but, um, and the, the title is a, sort of a sci-fi version of the Odyssey story, mm-hmm. only gender-reversed. Yes. And they're promising up the first issue with a huge eight-page fold-out, mm-hmm. which uh, Whatever. a bit gimmicky, I don't know, but I'm, in- I'm interested. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be great. I'm hit. Fraction, you know... He's so, hit and miss. Yeah, I think he's hit and miss. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I did read a preview <laughs> that's not going to be in the issue. They sort of published this uh, five-page uh, preview online. Uh, an issue zero, as it were, and I read it, and it's basically, um, since the series itself begins with, like, the beginning of the Odyssey, the preview is, you know, the fall of Troy, which in this case is an alien planet. It looks good. Uh, from five pages, I can't tell if it's gonna be, like, a hysterical hit, but, you know, uh, um, when Fraction is on, he's on, so I'm willing to give it a shot. Uh, other big launch is Tufan Claw number one, written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by Ben Dewey, uh, mm. Kurt Music is a familiar name. Ben Dewey recently released his first graphic novel, I think his first major graphic novel from Oni called I Was the Cat, which looks great. Yeah, I haven't read it, but it looks great, and the previews look great. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a fantasy story, uh, Tooth and Claw, not I Was the Cat. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm confusing things. It's sort of a fantasy story in a world of, I think, anthropomorphized animals. It was a little confused. The, yeah. the, the, the All of them are anthropomorphized. Some of them are. They've been turned from humans. Who cares? It's uh, Kurt Busiek. Who uh, yeah, cares? You know, you know, and Kurt Busiek is still mostly familiar as a superhero guy. Because, Gimme. You know, you know but shut up and take my I, I, I really liked his Conan stories, which yeah. he did in for Dark Horse. And Aerosmith was pretty good. Aerosmith was good. He's still doing, you know, after all these years, he's still doing great work with Astro City. Yeah. The last arc was a little weird. I'm not going to deny uh, that. But I figure I'm trade waiting on these. So. When you're running for like 800 years, you can afford to have like one weird storyline. That's fine. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's great. So uh, And another new relaunch uh, is The Humans, written by Ken Marshall Keller uh, with art by Tom Neely. And I just want... It's, it's like there's these bikers, only they're apes for some reason. And I just... The art looked great, and it looked like nothing else on the image line, because it's very European-looking. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm curious, you know, because it says, you know, it's like 70s biker stuff, only for some reason they're apes. I really wish I could get a hold of Image's plot generator, 
because they have the no, no, craziest no, ass idea. No, it's not, it's not. The thing is, it's not for them. It was originally started supposed to start as a self-published project, but then they and sort of to, okay. yeah, they sort of you know brought it to themselves. I, I listen. Sounds interesting. You know, uh, I, I with with image, I I'll admit that I'm I'm biased in the sense that I'm willing to give them more of a chance than yeah. I do for Marvel and DC projects, because with Marvel and DC, you can always sort of extrapolate in the general sense what you're getting when you pick up a comic. Image, you know, I, you would have told me, I mean, my favorite book, my absolute favorite book right now is Rat Queens. And if you had described the first issue to me, I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like what? So I'm always willing to give them that shot because they, they have proven time and time again that they know what they're doing and that they're offering things that you can't really find anywhere else. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, not a launch, but, uh, milestone. Uh, Savage Dragon reaches issue 200. Uh, written by Eric Larson and Gary Carlson, with uh-huh. Larson doing most of the art, with, yes, artists, but Herd Trimp, classic, and Chris Burnham, which is great. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of Savage Dragon. <laughs> Who is? Uh, five it's 2014. 5,000 people every month or so. Well, you know, I mean... I'm sorry, respect. This guy... No. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. No. 200 issues by himself uh, for two decades. And this guy, when all the other Image uh, founders went basically to be uh, money machines and to boss other people around, he was like, no, 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 I'm here to do my thing. And, you know, I don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. You know, this Good, guy... No, 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 no. But, <laughs> no, you know... I, I give Eric Larson, like, what This guy does it what he wants. I don't have to like it. I respect it on principle. Oh, it, it's, on not, principle. it's not an issue of liking. It's an issue of caring. It's like, you know, Savage Dragon reaches 200. This is one of the books that's the reason why you would not have thought that Image could, like, you know... It, it's one of the... It, it, Savage Dragon today is almost a parody of what it was originally intended to be. So, and Spawn is the same way. I mean, who talks about Spawn today? But, uh, I mean, you know, like, you have to give them their historical dues, but I don't care. Okay. That's, you know, okay. Savage Dragon okay. 200. Good for Eric Larson that he still has a job. This is, uh, fair you know, is fair. It's, it's and from the collection edition, we have uh, The Bounce by <laughs> Joe Casey and David Messina, which is, wait, wait, all 12 issues for $20. Not bad. That's a, that is money perspective, that's great. Deal. That's a great deal. That's yeah. less than two bucks an issue. Admittedly, this is one of those series that sort of went over my head. Yeah, I read the first issue and like, it's, it's not, you know, Joe Casey's not hit and miss. It's just like wh- whether, you know, I like particular series or not, or not. And I, I think I'm going to try it because recently his work has a sort of a slow burn feeling to it, which is like, yes. you can't judge from the first issue. You know, because I've or read the sixth. The, really. uh, I know, I don't know. <laughs> I've read, because I read the first issue of Sex and I was like, that, that's, Nothing, but then I read the first read, which was again a great deal. It was like first eight issues for ten bucks. That's really good. Yeah, and I was like, I liked it. I really liked sex. Uh, <laughs> mature. You're a mature person. You knew that that was gonna make me laugh. No, no, though, that's so, that's okay. what I'm recording with you because you're yeah. a mature person. Well, um, well, I mean, come on. They set that up. Joe Casey knew yeah, that that yeah. would happen the minute yeah, he said it. Yeah, yeah. I give sex five stars. Okay, so you know that 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 is apparently a thing. I'm, so, preju- I'm prejudiced because they actually quoted my review of it on the second book. Oh, the, the okay. second trade came out, and I was like, 
Oh, that that you know that review sounds familiar. Oh, it's mine. <laughs> Isn't that the best feeling though when you find out that you've been quoted? That's just great. <laughs> yeah. The, so the bounce, uh, I might check it out. I don't actually know anything about it, but it's, I mean, it's a remix superhero thing. You know, Casey does that for a while. Uh, from what I remember, it's not it's not one of his Kirby influence things, which he also oh. does he, because he has either a Kirby remix, you know, like uh, Godland, yeah. or you know, just a superhero without the restriction stuff like sex or wildcats or the right. bounce. Well, I mean, I, I do remember that that his version of wildcats was was pretty popular at the time, but uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. And another collection, you know, we talked about Saga earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Saga Book One, which is the first eighteen issues hardcover, fifty bucks. I'll pay it. Uh, it I, don't I, care. I already I, don't ha- care. I already have it in you know you know the collections. Which is, you know, I, I I don't. It's not a great price, but it's perfectly okay price. I mean, and, and Saga is a good series. If you haven't read it yet, see that's the thing. I'm gonna tell you buy it, but then if you buy it in this version, you're, you're gonna have to wait <laughs> another two years for the next one. Buy and, the trades. It's, yeah. it's okay. But I mean, you know, Saga is one of those those series that I honestly feel that when it reaches its conclusion, you know, those trades are gonna be sitting on my shelf next to Sandman. Hopefully, like the great epic. You know. Uh, it's, it, Vaughn had a bit of a thing with ending, right? Because I haven't read uh, Ex Machina, but you know somebody told me it sort of fell on the end. And Ex why Machina the last? Was... And why the last man? It was did... great. I'll... It was controversial, you know. A it lot was. of people didn't like it. I don't know. I mean, I I read like why the last man, top to bottom, like you know straight through. And I I really, I mean, the ending was different. It's not what you would have expected. But I, you know, I did not have any serious problems with it. Ex Machina was sort of shaky from the beginning. Like, I, this dude's the mayor, he mm. has machine powers, I don't care. You know, it, there was something missing. There weren't, I don't, even the cliffhangers were sort of like, meh. And cliffhangers is like the thing that Vaughn is known for. Yeah. You know, he does the best damn cliffhangers, so, you know, Ex Machina is an anomaly. But I mean, Why the Last Man had a great ending, Mystique had a great ending, uh, Runaways, his, like, if you look at Runaways only in terms of his run, yeah, which I do, issues, which I do, 36, 44, something um, like that. 12 and 24. So no, like eight, the first volume was 18. Right, right. First volume was 18, second volume was 24, I think. So that was yeah. 32 issues. Uh, um, yeah, that's true. So like, if you look at it in that context, the ending was perfect. Yeah. Nobody else pretty much, nobody got it. Nobody, no. nobody managed to really work no, though. You know, I mean, Whedon, Whedon was a he huge tried. disappointment. Yeah. And it's not, I think, you know, Runaway is one of the reasons maybe why it's not gonna be a Marvel movie because it's not, it's not iconic characters, it's a great yeah. story. Yeah. And you can only do that story maybe. You know, because yeah. people, six, you know, people who are liked, people who are good, you know, gave it a shot and none of them managed. You know, not, you know, it's not, it wasn't awful, I think, it was just, Nobody no, else but Brian Vaughn can do it. Just be, like because they were his his characters. Yeah, just like and you know, like nobody he, can do Howard the Duck. But yeah, the the, the funny thing is, you know, uh, I was reading uh, the most recent issue of Ms. Marvel. Okay. And Kamala Khan reminded me so much of Molly from the Runaways as Vaughn was writing her. You know, so isn't she like, like four years older? She because is. Because Molly's but, like eleven and Kamala's yeah, like fifteen. Yeah, but but Kamala's like that character who has like this enthusiasm and she meets Wolverine. Bubbly. Bubbly. Yeah, she she meets a, a Wolverine in, in the latest issue and like her reaction was almost exactly like Molly's. It's like it's Wolverine. Oh that's, my god. That's one of that's one of the things I have with Miss Marvel. It's a bit too precocious. Yeah, a bit. You know. I liked it, but you know, I, okay. I, I can I can tolerate that just because, you know, she's a breath of fresh air. 
and you don't have a lot of that at Marvel. Okay, right speaking now. of breath of breath of fresh, fresh air, air. Yeah. yeah, you're not gonna have that for this for the next one because we're going into IDW. Okay, and they're giving you Angry Birds Transformers issue one of four. <laughs> that's that, that's a okay. thing that exists. That's and, that's an actual comic that's gonna come out. An Angry Birds Transformers crossover miniseries, yeah. Written okay. by uh, John Barber, uh, who is the uh, is the editor of IDW Transformers line. And if you haven't read them, IDW Transformers line right now is great. It's okay. not good for Transformers, not you know good comics. It's legitimately one of the best ongoing science fiction sagas on the shelves right now. You know, Ooh. I'm even you know from the writing department, and I know I'm gonna get hate for that. I'm gonna put it above Saga. You are going to get hate for that. Yeah, Transformers, <laughs> uh, more than meets the eye. Okay. Not Robots in Disguise. They have like two thiles going together and telling mm. two sides of the same story. Is beautiful. There's a moment where one giant alien robot tells another that he loves him. And that's supposed to be ridiculous. Aww. I cried. And th- Who are the robots? No, no, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, you're not going to tell. Okay. Uh, a, because you're not going to know them. It's not. It's specifically, you know, not the big name. It's not oh, Optimus okay. Prime or something like that. And B, because if you're actually going to start reading it, you don't want to know. Okay. Because it's that a, mo- be, it's a giant spoiler. moment. Okay. So, you know, that line is great. And he also co-writes Transformers vs. G.I. Joe with Tom Scioli, which is an amazing title. It's like, it's an avant-garde Transformers vs. G.I. Joe done in Jack Kirby style. Okay. That's a, that's a weird ass comic. So I mean, am I am I interpreting you correctly by saying that you're going to read this? I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> that was what I wanted to hear Just you say. Just because of the creators and because of the pedigree of the Transformer line, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. I mean, listen, I, I give. And we're going to if we, if this podcast is still here when this comes out. Oh, we're, we're going to talk it. about. Oh, we're going to review it. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, this, you know, I, I have to give them credit for. You know, going with combinations that don't seem to make sense from a marketing perspective. Because you wouldn't think, if you were looking at it only in terms of, like, you know, demographics and and all that, you wouldn't assume that, like, Transformers and Angry Birds could coexist in the same space. He's going to give it a try. Good for him. You know, be inventive. See what happens. Okay, let's... uh, I think we talked enough news and previews. Yes. So let's go to the reviews. Yes. And we're going to start with the big one. You know, the big giant fish, the Mm -hmm. elephant in the room. Uh, Multiversity, number one. Hang on, let me get my knives out. Oh. Here we go. Okay. Okay, okay, that's going to be a bit of a fight. Uh, Written by Grant Morrison, art by Ivan Rice. It's from DC Comics, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, $4.99, but it's a... Big issue. It's like fifty pages, I think. Yeah, so you know, it's, um, it's not. It's not a. It's not a money plunge. No. Uh, okay. Well, that depends on your. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, uh, unlike a lot of recent Morrison superhero comics, the plot is pretty straightforward. Uh, really. Uh, okay. There's. Uh, I'll there's have my the, rebuttal. You okay. Go first. There's this entity, which ravages you know worlds across the giant multiverse, which is the DC universe, and. Someone has to stop them, and that somebody throughout the issue turns out to be a collection of superheroes from various universes, and their leader is Superman, who's the president of the United States, who's an African American. Uh, they gave his name out in an earlier comics, I think, because he's a character Grant Morrison used before in Final Crisis mm-hmm. and in Action Comics. I don't remember it. Okay. Uh, and basically this issue is, you know, he collects the team, he meets up the threat, and and there's a lot of weird stuff going around there because it's basic plot, 
but it's Morrison, so he decorates it and, you know, bleeds it over. And, yeah. okay, start from finish. I liked it. I okay. think it's, it's not new. It's not, it's, it's a Grant Morrison comics and this guy has been writing comics, superheroes for 30 years now. You know, and you're not gonna get a revelation, you know, from him. A revelation, you know, if you, if this is the first Grant Morrison comics you read, maybe it's a revelation for you because it's like, it's like nothing else. But if you're like me and you, we've read, we've read our fair share of Morrison. Yes. It's like, yeah, we've seen this. That's not my issue with it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. But wait, so, um... I... You know, go ahead. Okay. You said you have... All right. You, you'll be the... My, my rebuttal. Yes. Okay. So, I hated this book. Oh. And I hated it for very specific reasons. Okay. Here's the thing. Someone promoted this. I don't remember if it was Morrison specifically or someone at DC. Promoted Multiversity by saying that, you know, this is what the new 52 is about. It's an apt statement because I read this cover to cover and I have no clue what happened. Really? Yes. There, I mean, you know as well as I do that Morrison has a tendency to sort of exist on a spectrum between coherence and utter insanity. Where, you know, on the one hand you find... Uh, well, uh, hang on. So I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So like, okay. I read this cover to cover and the 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 voice that Morrison uses is like a lot uh, a lot less clever than he seems to think it is that whole thing of like you know stop reading but don't open this comic something terrible would happen now look what you've done you've let out the you know this monster this comics talks to the reader yeah because this monster that looks the-, the monster looks like Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc come on and and it speaks in Twitteries I mean. It's, it's not, he's trying to go for sort of that same sense of sarcasm and cynicism and metafiction that, that was in vogue sarcasm? 20 years ago. Morrison doesn't do sarcasm. Morrison, more, if Morrison brings up sarcasm, that's the bad guys, you know? The good guys are always up straight. Reader, what have you done? Pray it's not too late. They're in your head. Do as you're told. Put this book down now. That's the final page. My reaction to that is fine. Go away. No, no, I'm sorry. I don't read it as sarcasm. I read it as a very, uh, you know, silver agey romp. Uh, you know, the, you, the reader, is part of the story. It's not distant from you. And I just, I, you know, I, I, my my issue with it is that it is so unclear. And this is actually something that I mean, you know, I've enjoyed Morrison in the past, but I was never under any illusion that the main problem he has as a writer is that he has no damn idea. How to write characters. This is why, like, the most popular work that he's associated with, New X-Men, All-Star Superman, Earth 2, uh, Animal Man, these were all works with existing characters. So he didn't really need to do the heavy lifting there. No. To, hang on, hang on, to, to, to get to, you know, here, the character that he introduces, bearing in mind I have not read Final Crisis. Okay. Okay, because ain't nobody got time for that. But, you know, so, so I'm picking up this issue, right? And I love, I, I love multiverses. You know, alternate realities are one of my favorite tropes in fiction. So I picked this up thinking, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to see all these alternate realities. We're going to make. I don't understand what's happening. Like it, the, the the plot itself doesn't seem to make any coherent sense well, beyond this, this narrator who keeps telling you, "Put down the book. Stop reading. Now you can this, start reading." There's this big evil thing which is going to eat the universe. 
and there's superheroes trying to stop it. I, I'm Who are these superheroes? Why should I care? I'm not there's, under any illusions. There's superheroes from alternate realities. Yeah, but it's like, I'm not under any illusions at this point that DC is going to nuke their universe again. Although, with their track well, record, you never they can know. nuke any other universe, you know, because Whatever. the multiverse doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, but see, this is the thing. With, with what Morrison is doing here is missing the point as to why people would find alternate realities interesting in the first place. Like, you're going to see is, is like, okay, so there's a, uh, uh, an African-American Superman who is also the president. No, here's the thing. Okay, because here's where we divide. Okay. The, and here's where I think you sort of missed a bit what the comic was saying. Because as far as this comic is concerned, it's not an alternate version of Superman. Everybody keeps telling, you know, uh, African-American Superman here, you're Superman, not you're a version of Superman. As far as the other characters in the comics are concerned, they've read his adventures in comics and he's Superman. And this is Grant Morrison saying that it's not an alternative universe story because it's it's one of those uh, nonsense things of superheroes that one thing matters more than the next because it's fictional. Morrison is like, no, it's equally fictional. And this guy, that's fine. this guy is Superman. That's fine. He's listen, actually that's like, that's, he's actually Superman. Okay, but like, listen, I I accepted like I accept that in the same way that you know Earth Two is the main DC universe, right? Like in, when he did uh, okay. JLA Earth Two, yeah. so like. Uh, uh, the world that the crime syndicate exists in for Lex Luthor is Earth One. So that's fine. Like, I, I get that. I understand what he's doing. I just don't find it engaging as a reader because, you know, the, the, the main character, uh, the, the focalizer for most of the book is, uh, what is his name? It's the last of the monitors, right? Yeah. Nix. Nix Wuatan. The super judge. The super judge. I don't know, you know, like, it, um, th- he doesn't manage to make me, and then, like, you know, something actually happens to this guy by the end of the story. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure what, but I mean, like, I, it, Morrison doesn't have that ability to make you care about the specific fates of individuals I, in the story. I don't agree because. Unless they existed before. No, 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 I'm sorry, because I, most of his favorite works for me is his personal stuff. The filth. I love the film. Oh, I wrote God. a book. <laughs> I actually wrote a book about the film. But, okay. you know, uh, Sea Guy. You've read Sea Guy? I've read Sea Guy. By the end of the second issue of Sea Guy, there's a character death there. Sea Guy lasts for three issues, though. No, but the we thing three is... We was... Yeah, no, that's the thing. There's this character death of a comical sidekick yeah. at we at Sea uh, Guy. And that almost made me cry. And that's okay. a character I knew for one issue. I don't think... I don't think so. I, I do agree that there isn't a lot of character connection in this comic book. I do think, uh, I don't think it's, uh, hard to understand, you know, on general terms, but there is a bit of Morrison over-connecting things because, you know, when you read Morrison, uh, when he does superheroes, he doesn't really care, you know, for the state of the universe. It's, for him, everything connected. So you read All-Star Superman, which was supposedly, uh, Completely on its own, but it then, was marketed as being self-contained, and, and it almost was. But then you know you had you had things there from DC One Million. What was when, the name of that Living Sun thing? Uh, Tyrannus. Solaris. The Solaris. Ty- Solaris. Solaris. The Tyrant Sun. I loved it, by the way. I love. Yeah, you know, I love that the Superman villain is an actual sun. Yeah. Cute concept. But which was brought from, or you know, and then you had Superman, the unknown Superman from the future, which later cropped up in his action comics, which was supposedly unconnected. And, and, you know, Morrison does that, which I get could be confusing, but I... And some of this stuff did ba- baffle me completely. You know, Final Crisis, which I sort of <laughs> like... I sort of like on, on issues of flow alone, because 
it has some something strange going on, but I could definitely see why other people didn't like and why yeah. other people said this doesn't make any sense on its own unless you're completely familiar with every other thing Morrison did. Which I, is an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, yeah. Because, and you know, I, I don't necessarily... I don't remember what happened in Batman 665 when he confronted the resurrected soul of Darkseid I, or whatever. I don't even know. But I... I like this one. I okay. it's not as fa- it's not my it's not my favorite Morrison thing. I think you know by this point your favorite Morrison thing is going to be something you've read earlier, unless it's, this is your well, first Morrison. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like the appeal Morrison has for me is simply the fact that because he's so good with high concepts, as far as as far as I'm concerned, he tends to work best when he's working with existing characters. So he doesn't have to like establish all of these characters and what they do and everything. He says, you know, New X-Men, for example, yeah. was brilliant because all he had to do was drop in and say, okay, we're not going to be cutting up Sentinels anymore. Let's do something new. But he didn't have to redefine Wolverine. He didn't have to like recreate these characters from scratch. Uh, it, it, it worked. This, like, you know, I don't have an anchor point here is my problem with uh-huh. multiversity. Like, uh-huh. I don't have any reason to uh-huh. be invested in the stakes, especially since, you know, this would be scary if DC didn't blow up their multiverse once in a blue moon anyway. Okay. So, like, fair, whatever. Fair is fair. Whatever. Uh, next issue. We're going to talk about uh, Wayward, number one, from yeah. Image Comics. And this is written by uh, Jim Zob, the guy who does Skull Kickers, which mm-hmm. I like. I really like Skull Kickers. And it's drawn by Steve Cummings, who I don't think I've read anything by him before, but he's really good, you know, yes. in this first issue. And you can get it for 3.5, you know, which is a good price for a first issue no- nowadays, you know, <laughs> comics. Yeah. Comics will kill your, your oh, wallet. Yeah. Uh, so what's this comics about? Okay. So you this... can do it in one word, I think. And that word, word would be? It's, th- it would start with a B and end with a Uffy, uh-huh. I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the obvious point of comparison is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? You have this girl who has just moved from Ireland to Japan. She's a teenage girl, of course. Uh, uh, she is a huge, uh, like, fan of Japanese culture. Her mother's, uh, Japanese, her father Irish. Yeah. That, that's why she, she's not just, you know, I'm a teenage girl, I just moved for a completely different country. That could have worked too. Okay. You know? So, I mean, and she, uh, uh, she is going through the streets of Tokyo when she's attacked by Kappas. Yeah. Demon, which are demon ghosts. Japanese demons. Yeah. Uh, uh, and she's assisted by this blue haired girl, cause you gotta have blue hair. No spoilers. Gotta have blue hair. Not beyond that, 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 you know. Okay, so there's there's this blue haired girl. Um, visually, it, it looks like manga, but it reads a bit. A bit, you know. I mean, it has it has some, especially with the cover. I mean, no, okay, no, cover, that's the that's the alternative. Adam Warner. Yeah. You, you have lots of covers. But I mean, even when you look at the design here, you know, on the last page, uh, the design of the main character. You know, she has like the the striped uh, yeah. arms. It's not. It's not, it's not a costume. It's a very. I I really. It's odd for me to say it because I don't know uh, <coughs> nothing about this. But the fashion, you know, it has yeah. a sense of fashion. I Absolutely. Really like, I really like you know Absolutely. the clothing design here. Ayana's design is also you know very uh, uh, cool and interesting. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't get the Buffy comparison. <coughs> Sorry, I don't get the Buffy comparison because. She uh, is in this environment that she thinks she she understands, right? And then she's confronted with like these. No, no, I'm, I'm not. Creatures. I'm not talking about Buffy the series. 
Oh no, you didn't. You no, did I'm not, not saying I'm not saying it's bad, but you know the plot, the general plot. It's... Go stand in the corner. <laughs> you have brought that thing back up from the dead, and now people are going to ask what there was a Buffy movie, and they're going to go online and they're going to watch it. And have you no shame, Tom, for exposing people to that film? What have you done? There's going to be a remake soon. You know that. Oh no, no, there won't. Um, the main problem that I had. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say a main problem, even though it's a good comics, and I'm gonna keep on reading it no, in serial form. It's a bit slow because you know it's yeah. just it's it's not it's not a pilot episode. It's the first twenty minutes of a pilot episode before I'd the say first 10. fifteen. Let's yeah. let's let's put the difference. before the first commercial begins. Like, yeah. um, and when I buy a first issue, you know, I'm sorry if you're serializing a work on an issue by issue basis. Every issue has to have something and. Yes. When, when I'm, you know, comics cost money, and I'm sorry, for 350 a month, and we're both living in Israel, and mm-hmm. if you're buying it physically, you have to pay a lot more, because oh, yeah. shipping will kill you. Uh, I'm, well, I use Comixology, I don't, I don't, yeah, okay. do, yeah. I don't do this hard copy stuff anymore, okay. for that reason, yeah. because of the shipping. I'm a lot less forgiven. Okay. And, you know, you're, you know, you're, I'm asked to pay for every issue separately, so yeah. every issue separately, has to worth something on its own, and this one, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be insulting, but it sort of no, feels like no, 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 I don't want to because <laughs> it's not, it, because it's not a bad comic. It's pretty no, good comic. No, but I mean, you it's can call the flaws what they are. Yeah. The, the the problem with this issue, like from a writing perspective, is that structurally speaking, it ends at exactly the point where it should have began. Yeah. Because all of the prelude of like going into Rory's backstory and you know her family relationship and how much she loves Tokyo and all that takes up about half the issue, but that's not really what yeah. the comic is about. Yeah, it's it. And if the, this was a graphic novel, it would have worked because oh, yeah. you could you have this place. And if you're gonna buy it in trade, you know, in those famous this first is issue, ta- me yeah, early two thousands decompression flashbacks, you know, uh, not that bad. Uh. If, if this was early decompression, uh, it ends when if, she gets off the plane. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, you yeah. Know, and it's not this comic's fault, but last week I read Hex number one by, uh, Michael and Nelson and then Mora. It's a boom comic book, which is also about a teenage girl fighting the supernatural. Okay. And Hex basically starts where this one ended because we, when the first issue starts there's the girl already is well familiar with the supernatural oh, okay. and she's you know and it starts with a fight and carries on with a robbery and then there's this supernatural trap and a lot of stuff happens in the first mm, issue of right. X and and you know they're both a bit similar so I can't help but comparing them and I'm like right. if if I had to judge on first issue basis which I which I have to yeah I like Tex more, and I also, yeah. I also really like the more uh, the artist effects a bit more. Okay, I mean I am good. I I hadn't heard of Hex, so I it's will a definitely... boom. So that's why you have <laughs> that, they're well, not you they're know, not as good at promoting, but it's a very good it's a very good um, comic book. Th- this comic has, I, I think, more like what I can recommend about it is what it promises to deliver, not what yeah. it actually delivers. You know, unless uh, you're an art friend, if you just like you know pretty, it's, if you're a pretty picture fan, you know it's pretty. Yeah, it is pretty, but I mean, you know, I'm always up for explorations of Japanese mythology. I love it when Neil Gaiman does it. I love it when when Mike Carey does it. You, yeah, you compared it before we started recording yeah. to Crossing Midnight. It reminded me so much of the early issues of Crossing Midnight, where like you know, you don't necessarily expect your audience to know. You know, if you're a Western audience, you're not going to know all about like Amaterasu and and all that. So sure, why not? So middle, 
Yeah, yeah. You know. uh, okay, and our next and last first issue of the day is The Fade Out, yes. number one, by uh, Ed Brubaker and his conjoined twin brother. <laughs> Sorry. I mean... Sean Phillips. You're... You're joking, but you're also right because when I, when you turn the page on this comic and like you get to the first page, I had just finished reading Fatal. Yeah. I think I could be forgiven for assuming this is Fatal 25. Okay. It looks exactly the same. The layout, the panels, the, like, you know, if, if, if it's the lack of tentacles that tells me that it's not Fatal. For now. <laughs> for now. Uh, right. Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker has been working together for a long time oh, and, yeah. And they're one of these creator couples, you know, Morrison quietly, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, Lee and Kirby, which is basically, you know, by now, they've used to it. You know, they're, yeah. they're I guess they're friends in real life. And well, stuff. so are the readers. Like, yeah. You know, when you're picking up a Brubaker, uh, Phillips book, or when you're picking up... Uh, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't know. I haven't read the end of the... I've only read the first issue of uh, Fatal, and I understood oh. it goes for a completely different place. It's yes. Supernatural. You know? Yes, it does. So, you know, and this book basically came out when the two were offered the contract by Image, which basically said, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You're, you know, they're giant, by now, they're giants, they're giant name in, you know, in indie terms, in comics terms. And deservedly so. Yeah. And so they brought up the Fade Out, whose plot is, it's the 1950s, early 50s, late 40s. No 40s, because they're talking about the bombing of No, uh, but it's a flashback, no? I don't know. I think it's it's after clear. the war. It's after the war. No, no. This the wild part at the very first page. He thinks about like the the. No, film. but that's oh, that's, that's a, a flashback. flashback. Yeah, nineteen forty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's after okay. the war. All right. And it's Hollywood, and there's this guy who's a writer, and he wakes up after a wild party, and as one does, as one does, and he discovers that during the missing time, something very bad happened to people he knows, yeah. and he discovers that the studio he works for doesn't want that that thing would be discovered. I don't even know if you have to dance around the idea of spoilers, because the second you tell someone, like, it's an Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, noir comic in nineteen, You don't have Hollywood, to have said... No, you you know. know. No, I'm sorry, you don't have to say noir comics. You're saying it's an Ed Brubaker... Yeah, so don't Phillips. even say noir. Yeah, it's it's a noir comics, you know, by implication. Yeah. But, but it's like, you know, the minute you said that, like, you know... A man finds something mysterious in his bedroom. You know what he's going to find in his bedroom. But, you know, still. Uh, we won't spoil it just for, like, you know, the, the sake of, of... Here's the thing. It's exactly what you expect to receive. Yes. And there's a good thing... I mean, there's a good part to that and a bad part to that. Because I love Ed Brubaker's work. I love Sean Phillips. I love what they produce together. Having just come off Fatal, like I said before, this feels like... It's going to sound like a harsher criticism than I mean it to be, but it's it's repetitive in a sense. Like, I read Criminal, I read uh, uh, Incognito, you Sleeper. know, and Sleeper, and I mean, I mean, Brubaker does what he does really, really well. The, unfortunately for him, I know that he's also capable of going against conventions because he's publishing Velvet, in which, you know, you have the James Bond story... Except it's Money Penny who's running around kicking butt. Well, we don't so, know what's going to happen here. No, but I mean, on the strength of the first, you know, if we judge Wayward yeah, by yeah. his first issue, looking at the fade out on its first issue, it's classic noir. It it hits all the beats that you expect it to hit. I'm, but the thing is, like, you know, when you have a fam- existing familiarity with Brubaker's work, 
the scenario that he sets up here with, you know, the guy and what he finds out and what he discovers just in the context of the first issue is, isn't going to ring a bell. It's going to ring like an entire church, you know, yeah. because you've seen it before. Uh, by the way, just to say it, uh, the, the first issue comes out in two versions. Uh, yeah. The first one is the regular <laughs> comic booky version. And the second, the one that I bought because I'm a nerd for these kind of things is the fade out magazine edition. Which is Pulp Magazine, and it looks it's, amazing. It's gigantic. It's expensive. It's six bucks, but wow, it it looks great. Yeah. And because Brubaker is a fan of the actual published serial comics, and he likes to do favors for the people who support him with this kind of stuff, so in the end of every issue, you're gonna get a uh, yeah the 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 articles. You're gonna get articles. This one is written by David Ferrassi, I think, the guy from Badass yeah, Digest. David Ferrassi, uh, who does a, Ho- a Hollywood tragic story kind of thing, which yeah. was okay. I mean, listen, the the the, the supplementary material is supp- great. Yeah, supplemental material for um, the fade Cri- out for Fatal. Uh, for criminal, they were always great. Yeah, you know, excellent essays, really interesting stuff. And I mean, this Brubaker knows his source material. You know, he knows what he's doing, and he does it really well. This issue also at the end, he says, uh, "I don't remember her name." They actually have a researcher to right. make sure that everything is historically accurate. It's it's ambitious. It's good. I just you know, uh, speaking from the perspective of someone who has seen him do this. A few times by now, I kind of wish like that he could have reversed it a little bit. Uh, I don't. I'm it, not sure reverse, but maybe maybe he's gonna try and transcend. Should try maybe. and transcend it because maybe. the question is, it's go, is it gonna be just a regular noir cover band, or is it gonna be L.A. Confidential? Well, no, 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 no. You know, Hang breaking on. the scene. Hang on, with Brubaker, it's not cover band. You know, he does the real thing. Okay, and and that's right. fair. You know, that that that's absolutely nobody true. else does it in comics right now. No. They, no. Some can try, but yeah, no. um, you know he he's the best at it. He's the best at is at what he does. And what he does is really pretty, but um, but you know I this, like I keep going back not only to Velvet but also to like the the first twenty issues or so of Captain America. Okay, you know he has proven on more than one occasion that he can break conventions and get away with it, and you know bring back Bucky, which I mean it's easy it, to it forget. It was supposed to be a disaster. Everybody thought it's going to be a disaster. I, I mean, Bucky Barnes. Yeah. Who who wanted that? Who asked for it? He was always considered like him and Uncle Ben are the only two people who stay dead. Yeah. Everybody else comes back. And like, not only did Bucky Barnes come back, you know, as a badass cyborg with a robot arm. Listen, no, you know when 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 you hear people talking about the Winter Soldier, the film. Yeah. Bucky, 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 Bucky. Sebastian Stan is great casting, but I mean, it's the character. And that was all Brubaker. And that was supposed to be a disaster. You know, when you look at the components, like reviving an old character, making him a badass assassin, giving him a robot arm, you know, the sign of 90s comics, and it works. It It works. It works perfectly. And then, you know, like, I'm not, I'm spoiling like a 10-year-old comic here, but, you know, and then Bucky Barnes becomes Captain America. Who, you know, like, that was not something that people were expecting him to do. That was not something people were expecting him to do. And he pulled it off. So I know that he can, you know, he can subvert uh, 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 concepts and still be loyal to, you know, the the core. Because 
the fade out has, you know, the, the, like, I don't want to turn it into a, another, like, you know, discussion on gender and sexism and all that, because noir is noir is noir, right? But, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the female victim and da 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 da. But I think, I think he's setting up, setting it up for subversion. I hope so. From the first issue, it doesn't seem to be that way. I trust him. I, I, tru- I do too. I trust I, him not to do the stupid thing. I mean, uh, look, even if it ends up being a completely, like, you know, Retread? If it doesn't buck the trend at any point, it's still an Ed Brubaker noir comic. Like, I don't even let's, care. Uh, let's talk it. about the art. The art? Well... <laughs> it's Sean Phillips. Sean Phillips. Uh, on you the know. magazine specifically, when you have, you know, these wide uh, gutters, and you can just let every image party out. Yep. It looks great. Uh, when he just started, you know, when he was... He was doing Sleeper, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it didn't fit in. It was know? a little... It, it, you know, it was noir superheroes, but it just doesn't work. Because the Wildstorm format needed more... Like, action. You know, action and, and, and all that stuff. And, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, the most kinetic artist. You know, there no. was this chase scene in the first Criminal Art, which was, like, not the greatest. But, you know, when it comes to mood, specifically to noir mood, you know, he's the best. He gets it. You know, no, no, nobody else in comic book comes close to it. Nope. And well, maybe the guy who does uh, Black Sun. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I can Mood. see that. No, Mood. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, really, what it comes down to is... Ooh, Ed Bubik, you should do a guy a comic with that guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm, what? I, I'm, He's I'm a better writer. He be- He's a better it. writer than the guy who writes Black Sun, but... Yeah. I mean, well, Ed Brubaker, you know, I'm, I'm biased in that sense. Ed Brubaker should just write everything. You know, save me some time. No, because that, everything would be similar. I don't know. See, this is the thing. I, I, I've been, you know, sitting here telling you how, like, you know, the, the, the fade out and fatal and criminal are all so similar and whatever. But he's doing Velvet too. Okay. And Velvet does not look anything like these comics. And I mean, it's not just down to the artist. The kind of story that he's telling is completely different. I don't. I don't. Again, I read the first issue because when it comes to Boo Baker, I'm a trade guy. But uh-huh. trade is out though. First I'll read it. Open. I'll <laughs> read it. I'm a hardcover guy, specifically. Oh, okay. Because I've got, you know... See you in 2018. <laughs> yeah, pure coincidence. I've got the first two hardcovers of uh, Criminal oh, on the cheap. You know, I just okay. found them in, you know, ridiculously low prices. So I bought them. And ever since then, I'm like, well, I can't put anything else on the shelf next to them without it right. looking ridiculous. So I'll have to buy, you know, Incognito, the uh, slipcase edition. And Are stuff they like. doing a slipcase for Incognito? Incognito came on slipcase. Both, oh. both, uh, volumes together. Good for them. And I guess now, because I have the first volume of, of, uh, sleeper, I'm gonna have to buy the, <laughs> the yeah. absolute sleeper that came Although, out. Although, I mean, listen, even Incognito, you know, talking about like comparative, uh, comparing his work, even Incognito had like that little bit of difference. Yeah, but it's not a huge bit of difference. No. It's not. You know, he has a style, and, you know, I can't begrudge him because, you know, up until 20 years ago, the style for everybody was superheroes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's perfectly fine that we have a noir spy guy. Yeah. And when he's good at it, you know, I I won't begrudge it. He's consistently good. Like, I I don't... You know, Ed Brubaker is one of those writers who's really frustrating to review because he's always good in the same way that he was good before. So I'm like, well, Well, you know, here's the five-year forecast. You can talk about the X-Men stuff. Space opera stuff did not, not work fault. so well. Not his fault. I, I, I don't... This is the thing. Like, oh, God, we can get into a review of, like, the rise and fall of no, the Shi'ar Empire. No, let's not do I, that. I, I would love to do that. At some future point, we should do okay. that because, like... No, because then I'll have to read it, it again. My my opinion of that arc depends entirely on one thing. Okay. Whether or not he was the one who came up with Gabriel Summers or Joe Quesada or Axel Alonso or another one of those dunderheads went to him and was like, we want the third brother... 
third Summer's brother now. Nobody's asking for it, but we want it now anyway. Wasn't that earlier in Deadly Genesis? It, that was right, like, like the Deadly Genesis led directly into, uh, uh, okay. I, thought I think he, he wrote earlier. Deadly Genesis. Yes, yes, but yeah. I thought it came a year earlier or something. No, no, it, it was a direct continuation of the storyline. Okay. You know? So, I mean, that's what I would like to know. Like, I really want to know, because if Ed Brubaker came up with Gabriel Summers, that's the black mark on, like, an otherwise uh, 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 clean reputation. Because that character, you know, it says a lot that he ended up in a black hole. <laughs> okay. Because uh, he, he, he's sitting somewhere with Zorn and with Mamamax or whatever uh, yeah, yeah. the hell is. Zorn was a great idea. It wasn't Morrison's fault that people didn't get No. People I, misunderstood yeah. that story. It was uh, so... In so many ways. <laughs> yes. At the same time. You know, if you said Sentry... Uh, well, the century was a bad, bad idea. Century, you know, when you read the original century, it's okay. You get the joke. Yeah. You might even laugh at it a little bit, and you're like, okay, time to put this thing to bed. The guy keeps turning up. He's dead, no? I don't even know anymore. Like, is he ever really dead, or is he just part of all of us now? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't but even... the thing is, if we didn't have the bad century comics, wouldn't have that great miniseries. I think it was Jeff Parker. Which did the Sentry as a Silver Age Superman fighting evil mountain men from uh, Arkansas? Yep. I think. I was... really wish our listeners could see the look that I'm giving you right now because I have no idea what it you're was, talking I about. I think it was Jeff Parker. Uh, I what like Agents of Atlas? No, what, what no, is no. That? It was like a out of continuity miniseries? miniseries. Yeah, four issues. I don't know. The Sentry is one of those jokes that keeps on giving, yeah. but not in the way his creators thought it would be. <laughs> okay. I just remember like when he died. They did a funeral issue, and Rogue was like, oh, I wish I had sex with him or something. I don't even... Uh, okay. I don't want to do it there. Uh, let's, uh, that's enough, I think, yeah. with the new issues. We're going to talk, uh, at the end of every episode, we're going to talk about either a collection or a story, or in this case, a complete arc. Yeah. Because the first five issues of Elektra by uh, W. Aiden Blackman and uh, Michael Del Mundo just finished up, and mm-hmm. we're going to have a trade in three months' time. Probably. Yeah, some November. Yeah, November. Uh, you know, the first five issues. And it's an interesting series, so we're going to talk about uh, Electra. Yeah. And you asked for it, so you're going to open. I did, and I am going to open. Uh, What's it about? <laughs> well, I'm going to go a little, like, what is it about, really? But here's the thing. Electra's always been a character that Marvel have had difficulty with in terms of leading, you know, a- a- as the as the female lead of a book. Uh, she was introduced in, in Frank Miller's Daredevil. iconic Daredevil run. Yeah. Right? And then even more iconic miniseries with Bill Sienkiewicz. Yep. And then even more iconic graphic novel, uh, Electra Lives Again. Yeah. Which I still think is some of Frank Miller's best work. From design standpoint alone, yeah, because that design is story great looking. Fantastic. Uh, um, her backstory is complicated as hell, but suffice to say that she dies at the end of the, uh, Frank Miller, uh, run, is resurrected by Ninja Magic, and that was pretty much the point at which Marvel sort of didn't know what to do with her. Because she had a series before this. She uh, had many. She had, this is like volume four, I think. Three. Or three. Yeah. Because there was... Uh, the first one was Electra Assassin, basically. Yeah. yeah, but it's a miniseries. So, And there was... Brian Michael Bendis wrote one? No. It wasn't Bendis. It was uh, Rob Rohde. Yeah. And he only did the Peter first... Peter Milligan did a few, I think. I think that was the same series, okay. but I don't even... But I mean, that series sort of like went on for about 30 issues yeah, and then no, And they, they, it's one of those things where they feel they have to keep using the character because yeah. she's familiar. 
but the the reason the thing that made her familiar is one particular writer. Yeah, it's like you know, uh, Moon Knight for a long time, which kept getting relaunch after relaunch mm-hmm. after relaunch because people really like that 1980s Bill Sienkiewicz drawn Moon yeah. Knight, even though you know it keep it kept failing. Yeah, and the, but you know the recent relaunch with Warner succeeded. You know, like nobody, like nobody's right. business. Which really just goes to prove that you know if you, I mean. I'm of two minds of that, because on the one hand, the Moon Knight relaunch was a success. On the other hand, the reason it was a success is because Ellison, uh, Ellis, uh, Ellison, Ellison Shelby. Ellis pretty much dropped, uh, dropped, oh, what's that, what's going on with me? Ellison, uh, <laughs> there I did it again. We'll cut that part out, right? You're gonna hope to, but I'm okay. not gonna tell you. Right. You're gonna listen and leave, like... leave me in suspense. Okay. Over my tongue twisters. Ellis pretty much ditched everything that had been associated with Moon Knight up until the point where he started his run. So, you know, it's like it's a blank slate reboot, and, and it works for what it is. With Elektra, Blackman doesn't take that approach. But what he does do is, I think, for the first time even, create sort of a sense of consistency as to who this person is, you know, and, and, and what her deal is in the Marvel Universe. Because, you know, She's prior a kill- to that... It's, but it's pretty simple. She's a killer for hire. Who hires her? Whoever has Does money. Does she work for S.H.I.E.L.D.? Does she work for the Kingpin? Whoever has money. That's, that's the thing with mercenaries, you know. But that was something, that was something that the previous series struggled with. Because, you know, you can't have her running around killing innocent people, right? She's not the Punisher. Because the audience loses, the Punisher doesn't kill innocent people. You never know what the Punisher. I, 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 I is he still alive or is he yeah, still like yeah, a Frankenstein yeah, the, thing? No, 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 no. I don't know. That Frankenstein Punisher series was great. I'm <sighs> sorry. Rick Remender, if only you were as good a writer as your best, ideas were. That was the best thing Rick Remender did. I, I would not disagree with that. But <laughs> okay. that doesn't speak okay, well okay. to his okay. other projects. Electra, Electra. Anyway, Electra. So, like, Blackman, I think, for the first time in years and years and years, has a very clear idea of who this person is, why she does the things she does, you know, what are the, 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 the codes and... and, and the things that she finds acceptable. Because she says, for example, here, you know, she's an assassin, right? So she accepts this contract, but it's very important that the person she is contracted to kill is an older assassin, right? She she flat out says, you know, I don't kill innocent people. Yeah. Which is a line that other writers have probably pushed her across from time to time. You know, it happens. Uh, I don't even know. I it's men with a heart, you know. It's a, it's a familiar trope. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Bendis did something with her during Secret Avengers. Uh, I don't even know. Wasn't she a scroll in Bendis' room? <sighs> everybody was a scroll. Everybody was. Uh, a scroll. Anyway, to this ma- day, everyone's a scroll. Yeah, they just the, don't know it yet. The main plot of this first volume is basically Elektra gets a contract to kill this legendary older killer, Cape Crow. Yeah, and during that time, she and other killers were after Cape Crow. Are being chased by someone called Bloody Lips, who, <laughs> who is, is also a killer. The highlight. Who of is the also a killer, and if you didn't get it from the name, he liked to eat his victims. Yeah. And but, he, but, he's not just a regular cannibal. What the story very strongly implies is that. It's not Bloody implying, Lips, it says it. it huh? It's, it's outright said. It's, yeah, but you don't know if he's insane. Okay. Like, you know, if he's crazy, then he's just imagining it's like the, Craven the Hunter. No, but it's the Marvel Universe. The fact that he's insane. Doesn't contradict the fact uh, that it also happens. I, I mean, look, when they did the, uh, the last hunt of Craven, right? Okay. Uh, Craven's last hunt. What am I even calling it? Uh, Craven's last hunt. So that was that thing where, like, you know, if he eats the spider, then he'll gain its powers. He was nuts. Yeah. Here, you actually do see, like, you know, if he eats a polar bear, suddenly he has the strength of a polar bear. If he, 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 um. He eats a scalp hunter. Which yeah. Which is a, apparently a character that exists. Back. Scalp, uh, scalp hunter. He's yeah. a marauder from, uh. See, this. that's the thing. He's a marauder from the X-Men. I yeah. He'll I be back. That. 
And he gains machine empathy. So, yeah. you know, he's a super-powered cannibal guy. Yeah. And he's scary as that. Like, his design is just super, super creepy. And what the arc does, uh, like, from the first issue right to the end is that it's it, a chase. It sort of it's weaves, a long... It is a chase, but it also, it weaves Electra's narration together with Bloody Lips and really uh, uh, forces you to sort of compare them. Okay. Uh, here's my opinion on this yes. arc and series as a whole, meanwhile. Uh... The MVP of this thing is Del Mundo. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, Marvel has a lot of great artists on the payroll right now, and this guy is at the top of the top of the line. This stuff is brilliant looking. It's Sinkevich meets J.H. Williams, you know. It's it's more coherent than Sinkevich. No, yeah, that's why I said meets J.H. Uh, Williams. It's like, yeah. it's, it's painted, and it's sort of, a lot of the imaging is very abstract, but at the same time, comprehensible all the time, yes. you know, it has some very long fight sequences. You're which, never at a loss as yeah. to what's happening on a given Yeah, map. and it has a great sense of design, and we've talked we've talked in the first part of this episode about sexism in comics, and Elektra is a character whose dress sense, you know, pretty much supposed <laughs> to mean, you know, her costume is basically a couple of red sashes. Yeah. And it's... A, it's Two potato chips and a band-aid, basically. Yeah. And in the hand of almost every other artist, it has sort of had to be, you know, that thing which sort of makes you feel uncomfortable reading it yep. in public. But not here. It's because of the style. It's basically, you know, his style makes it... But yeah, the writing... is not objectified. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's... The writing... Here's the thing about the writing. I yeah. think it's good. I don't think it's as smart as it tries to be. Because I think at the end, you know, with all the narration and all the purple prose around, mm-hmm. it's very basic. It's, you know... It's five issues of killers chasing killers, and it tries to look sound smart because, mm. it, it, like you said, the crossing narrations and the, the characters talking in very purple prose, very purple yes. prose. And although you, you know, know she's one of the few characters, who you know, would the character the character is not a problem. The thing is, purple prose in comics is very difficult. Yeah, and in general, you know, doing purple prose well is very hard. You know, early eighties Alan Moore could do it. Uh, Frank Miller also in the early 80s could do it. It was a tough guy purple prose, but it was purple prose nonetheless. Yeah, you know, yes. Electra Assassin was basically, you know, stream of consciousness writing at its yeah, best. Yeah, I could agree with that. And this one is not that, but it's, it's misses something. Je ne sais quoi? I don't know. I think, I mean, like looking at the narration, you know, because that, I mean, most of the, the issue, you know, you have the physical action that's going on, the, the fighting and all that. But I think, you know, there is a lot of, you know, exploring Electra's, you know, her inner thoughts, her, her memories, whatever. I think it's appropriate for this particular book only because Blackman is trying to, you know, sort of reestablish her. It's pretty much what Warren Ellis had to do for Moon Knight, right? Like, you're starting from scratch. Yeah. Forget all of this scroll. There are no mentions of scrolls in this book. Uh, you know, Daredevil, you know, the character that she has been most frequently connected to, is only mentioned as, you know, he's seen in sort of like a, a cameo panel. Yeah, but it's a Marvel Universe book. It, it yeah. doesn't shy away from no, that no, no, too it's, much. No, no, it's not self-contained. I mean, you the other assassins that Elektra is chasing after yeah. to try to get the bounty, you know, they include Sabretooth. Lady uh, Bullseye, Lady from, Bullseye, from Andrew Baker's Daredevil run, who's a fantastic character, although she L- tends to be a little, you know, hit and miss depending on who's writing her. So, I mean, I, I, I'm willing to sort of excuse the the overlong stay inside Electra's head only because it it serves the purpose of like you know, you have to explain who she is for people 
who are coming into this thinking you're like what is this like another uh you know anti-hero mercenary sometimes she kills innocent people because she's paid for it not really needed you know here it's sort of like you know this is who she is now these are the things that that she is dealing with you know these are the issues that she has to deal with mm-hmm. and um you know I, i'm so curious to see where she goes from here which is unfortunate uh yes apparently this book is gonna get the chop very why soon. can we not have nice things why because of money why because of money uh you know I I, and i sort of uh, i understand why it doesn't sell very well because it's very odd looking and if you're and yeah. if you're coming in for regular superhero stuff you're not gonna get it from this book based you, on the art alone no that's not true though i mean you wouldn't you don't get the sort of uh the 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 in terms of the art cell but i mean her fight with bloody lips is a superhero fight right yeah it takes place on part of it takes place uh, on monster uh, island yeah you know i mean there was a, when blackman was was promoting this book you know one of the things that he said was like you know if you were a contract assassin And you could go anywhere in the Marvel Universe. Why would you not take a contract that takes you to Monster Island? Or to the Savage Land? Or, uh, you know, uh, the Australian Outback where the X-Men used to hang out? I don't know. I mean, like, th- there are so many things that you can do with this concept. And you people just want to read, like, I don't even know. What's, what's selling at Marvel these days? God help us. Hickman's Avengers. Pass. Okay. Uh, that's that's just too much of it you know there's too much avengers comics but you know uh, if we're talking about this you know i can't blame them i can't blame them because from a business perspective i understand yeah. it but like you know you th- this is the sort of book that marvel should be pushing harder because it's gonna i think it's gonna sell well in the long term it will i i hope so it could the thing is it's sort of you know the first five issues have It has a close ending in the sense of, you know, she found yes. Cape Crow and Bloody Lips yeah. meets his match, in a it, way. Like, if you read these five in isolation, they're a complete arc, you get closure. Almost, because it ends, you know, the, the final page is like, yeah, here's my new status quo for the rest of the series. Well, and, no, I mean, the very last page of issue five is basically, you know, Lady Bullseye swearing revenge. Yeah, which, and, okay. and they're it's telling her the organization of assassins is gonna chase her for yeah, whatever. that's fine. That's a setup. It, it's a setup on the one hand, but it can also be like, you know, and their adventures continued. Yeah, okay. Which is sort of, it, it's the ending that you accept when you don't have any choice. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really wish that this series I, could go I on. think it's a very good series, and if it succeeds in sales of trades, Marvel's probably going to do their, you know, relaunch with the same creative team, which they've done before. Well, the, the, the rumor is that they're looking at this specific team, uh, you know, to, to, to assign them to a different book. I'll read that book. You know, the, the, this arc, if it proves nothing else, is that Blackman and Del Mundo are a great team. And Del Mundo is great. It's spectacular. art. Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, uh, 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 we're disagreeing on, on, on the quality of Blackman's writing, but I have to say... Like, yeah, but you know, it's the disagreement between, you know, good and very yeah, good. Because not, I... It's, the, not, it's not the, the same disagreement judge, we had on the multiverse. No, no, no. no. I, don't think, I don't think that'll happen. But, I mean, for, for me, really, the, the, the sort of meter here is whether by the end of the arc I want to keep reading. Okay. And that's not as uh, that's not as simple a mark to reach as you might think because I mean I have no patience for for what's going on right now with the X books or what's going on right now with the Avengers. I'm I'm just tired 
of so much of it. And, Overexposed to the extreme. You know, yeah, and, but no, but also like the, the, the kinds of stories that they're telling and the, you know, the past X-Men future. There's a whole other podcast that we're not going to get into it. No. But like, you know, you get to the end of this story and it's, it, it, it's a female-led solo book. Which, with our luck, will probably be used as you know. This is why women don't uh, women don't read comics because their books don't sell. It's like no, whatever reason there is for Electra not selling has, in my opinion, entirely to do with the marketing because nobody talks about Electra. You know, Marvel doesn't promote it as being significant in any way. They just shove the book out to die. Okay, so uh, right. I think we're gonna finish. With don't that. cancel Electra. Yeah, and if it is canceled, we argue. You know, we urge you to buy the first collected yes. edition anyway. Because it's good. Or go to Comixology and, you know, just buy the first five issues. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll finish with that. Okay. I was Tom Shapira. I'm Sean Edry. And hopefully we'll meet again that. for episode two in two Fingers weeks' crossed. time. Yeah. Read some good comics. Excelsior. <laughs> That's trademarked. That's trademarked. I'm going old 